0: Building on a full and accurate truth concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the scriptures speak. This is the Relentlessly Biblical Podcast. Welcome everyone. Welcome back to the Relentlessly Biblical Podcast. My name is Alexander Ortiz. I'm here with my co-host, Christian Lopez. Hello, hello. What's up, my brother? How you doing? doing good. So we've had a last couple episodes have been really, really great milestones. They've been really uh, popular and we want to keep it rolling with this episode 16 and Christian's pretty much going to take the wheel at this point. But um, the topic really is the character of God and specifically Christian, the goodness of God, the goodness of God, which I think will be a surprising topic for everyone. Um, It's one of those things that um, we were talking just before the show. It's it's a common conversation more common than you know and hopefully with what you know we're going to share with you guys today it's something that will help you in your conversations especially with unbelievers because talking to people about god and and people who have a misunderstanding about what god is you need to be armed you need to be armed with biblical information in order to describe you know, our, our wonderful God for who he is. And that's sometimes not an easy topic, Christian. Yeah. There's so much to him. As I was preparing for this and, and you chose the topic, Christian, I'm saying, wow, character of God. I mean, we can dig into this for like three hours easily. Yeah. <laughs> so whenever we dig into the character of God, there's always there. There's always a lot there, I should say. And that's a privilege that we have a God that we can dig into like that and get to know so much of him. Because there is so much of him to know. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. So I'm just going to tap it over to you, bro. (laughs) Sounds good. So you can take it from here and get us started. But welcome, everyone. We appreciate that you guys are here. But before I tap it over to him, let me just um, cover a a, a few quick things. First of all, I want to thank everyone for subscribing and following us and, and helping our podcast grow. Please continue to do that. Please, I, I encourage you that if you're not subscribed or you don't follow our podcast, go ahead and do that. It's free. Just go on your Apple, Google, whatever the platform is, we're there. Just subscribe to us. It doesn't cost you anything. And whenever we drop a new episode, you'll get that automatically. And so go ahead and do that. And, and if you want to leave us a little review as far as uh, that goes, that will help the show as well, too. The the, the feedback will We'll, we'll help people get the message out there of what we're doing here. So let me just hand it back to you, bro, and appreciate your time uh, up front getting us
1: started. All right. So the um, perspective or the approach that I wanted to, um, we're kind of talking about this a little bit, um, that I wanted to uh, tackle this from is, you know, I find myself having conversations with people and you typically will run into, obviously, different kinds of people, but the two uh, types of people Um, that you will typically run into are people who don't believe in God at all. And those are atheists. Uh, The second type of person that you would probably uh, run into is uh, those who believe there's something out there. um, A higher power, but they can't be sure if it's the God of the Bible or not since there are so many religions out there that a single truth about God cannot possibly hold truth. Mm -hmm. And um, those mainly fall under the um, agnostics. So I've come along several people who hold the idea of, you know, agnosticism. And um, that's who I want to address this podcast to.
0: And that's important because that's most of the people we swerve into on a day-to-day basis.
1: Yes. Um, And so you ask them questions like, do you think there uh, is um, life after death? And they're like, oh, yeah, I think so. You know, or, you know, I believe there's something out there. And just to kind of... Um, help them uh, guide them through th- th- their thought process so when I encounter a person like this or with this sort of idea I'm, I'm actually relieved um, because my goal is to lead them and direct them to one word that can help us seek out the real God
0: That's an interesting perspective yeah. So you're actually relieved that they don't know
1: yes well,
0: that's an opportunity for you to share
1: it yes we all should be like that yeah and honestly, to know for sure that he, he must be and that he is the true living God, the higher power they are trying to seek. Um, the one who we know created the entire universe and all that's in it. And that word that I want to dive into is the word goodness. And that's what this episode is called. It's called The Goodness of God. And I want to explore the questions, um, is God good and what makes him good? And if he is good, then can he be trusted?
0: Yeah, and that's an important question like you and I were talking about. That's one of many questions actually yeah. you get from unbelievers. Yep. You know, if things happen in the world, how can there be a good God? What are all the bad things that happen? This is important stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, and the basic pr- principle of agnosticism is, in short, um, is we cannot know with certainty whether God exists. But when I talk to people who think this way, they tend to lean toward the idea that someone or something is uh, is out there, that's beyond us, that does exist. And um, usually at this point in their lives, they're just kind of exploring all options and processing um, you know, things and playing um, you know, process of elimination among uh, most other popular religions. So to be able to make a firm decision on this specific matter is to look at a very important word that I mentioned earlier, and that's the word goodness or good. And I find myself time and time again expounding on the goodness of God with people because I'm always drawn to ask them this. And I like asking questions because it makes them think. So I ask, is this higher power you believe to be out there a good being? Okay. And if yes, what makes this higher power good? And um, what is this being like? And so I give them a moment to to think and to answer this question because it really allows a person to put emphasis on the validity of this higher power's goodness. Because when the question of what makes God good is answered, you know, or or what makes this a higher power, you know, good qual- qualities like loving, kind, forgiving, faithful, truthful, merciful start to kind of surface.
0: Yeah. And before you dig any go further, ahead, go ahead. Uh, one, one scripture that came to mind, because you're right. I mean, when people approach you and that's what they believe, they already have in their mind that there is a higher power. There is something out there. Right. And, and I it takes me to Romans uh, chapter one, verse 20, where it says, uh, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, both his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Mm. And that's why. That's why people think the way that they do. I mean, Romans talks about that. That's people, good. People believe what they believe, although they may not believe in the God of the Bible, and that's what we're here to, we're here to do, to open up their understanding for that. But... Roman talks about that very specifically. So they're they're ripe when you get them, and they have that understanding. That's that's what they call pretty much um um you know a general revelation. You know
1: right general right.
0: revelation. God has a general revelation that everyone in their heart knows. Yeah, you're right on the money with that one.
1: And that's why I'm relieved because you're right. You know, scripture really. Um, answers itself and people are looking at the world and saying there has to be something out there if anything christian <laughs> you know god's
0: uh common revelation the common uh, uh um uh, things that people see every day that tell them that there's a god has already god has already prepared the way for you
1: right right so right. that you can go amen. in there
0: and share with them
1: yeah so god's
0: doing his part
1: amen that's so true yeah, yeah yeah i mean he honestly when i do talk to people i i always look at like I always try to also point them to like, look at the sky, look at the sun, look at the moon, look at the stars, look at all these things. And it's evident that God does exist. Now we're just trying to figure out which God is this.
0: Yeah. And you catch people at certain points in their life. Like for instance, having a baby is a really big milestone. You can't go through an experience like that and not say, wow, you know, God is awesome. Yeah. And that's when you want to catch him.
1: So when these qualities start to surface, like loving, kind, forgiving, faithful, truthful, you know, the next question, you know, that I, I like to ask is now, could, could it be that this higher power that they're trying to understand certainly be the God of the Bible? And we're going to find that out today. Um, and we're going to look at a very interesting point of the story of a man who was a Hebrew by birth, but raised as an Egyptian, and his name is Moses. Now, due to Moses' upbringing in an Egyptian household, it is quite possible that he was taught the ways of the Egyptians and most likely learned about the gods they worshipped. And we know with certainty that Moses at some point understood where he came from and had an idea of his Hebrew culture and the God of his fathers. So I I bring up Moses because Moses uh, encounters God uh, in a a very interesting way. And also uh, Moses is in the same category that most of these people are at. I mean, he knows there's gods that exist and there must be a god out there but now when you look at the relationship between god and moses moses is actually walking literally side by side with god and god is revealing himself just like we try to do when we're explaining the goodness of god to people
0: good point you're basically saying that he was kind of clueless
1: like most people exactly exactly he
0: knew he was a jew Right, he, he that had that and I'm sure that history came with them but the overwhelming history and culture that he grew up in which was the Egyptian culture that must have been what was for first and foremost
1: right right so the starting point that I want to uh, launch us from is Exodus 33 verses 12 to 23 and we're also going to jump to um, uh, Exodus 34 6 through 9 but just to give a little context up until this point um, we know that Moses is a Hebrew but he was raised in an Egyptian household because a pharaoh at the time—this is after Joseph—was um, intimidated on how great in number and extremely powerful the Hebrews were. So he ordered that every male child was that was born from a Hebrew woman would be killed. And because Moses' mother knew of this order, she sent him away in a basket down a river to protect him from this order. Um, The Pharaoh's daughter saw the basket of this baby floating in the river and felt sorry for him and kept it for herself. And arrangements were made so that Moses could still be nursed by his biological mother. Um, But from the time Moses was a baby until his adulthood, he was raised as an Egyptian. Um, And now by the time we get to Exodus chapter 2, we see that Moses has an idea of who he is. And a turn of events leads him to get out of Egypt and to flee to a place called Midian. One day Moses encounters the God of his fathers for the very first time through a burning bush, and the God that they believed in and worshiped, Moses' fathers, uh, was the God from the very beginning of time who created everything, including humanity, which led to this point in time where Moses is encountering this same God through a burning bush. Now, if you fast forward, God does some amazing miracles to prove his power and save the Hebrews or also known as Israelites, uh, we know later to be, Mm -hmm. um, out of slavery from the Egyptians. He leads them through the splitting of the Red Sea and where they are now protected by God. And at this point, God gives the Israelites, who are the Hebrews, instructions. Also at this point in the history, the Ten Commandments are revealed. The mark of God's standards to us and how we should respect Him and others. And later on, Israel breaks one of the commandments, worshiping a God they created for themselves, the golden calf. Yeah. Leading Moses then into anger and uh, to break the the, the first set of tablets that he created or that God created, uh, the Ten Commandments on the ground. And then when the tablets are recreated and redone, this is where Moses requests to see God's glory. And he gets a glimpse of it. And now we begin reading in Exodus uh, 13. Chapter 33, verse um, 12 uh, through 23. Now, to— I'm there with you, bro. Now, mind you, Moses is also in the tent of meeting at this point, talking with God. So, verse 12. When Moses said to Yahweh, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. So now I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you so that I may find favor in your sight. See also that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence, this is God, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. Indeed, how can, how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us, so that we, I, and your people may be distinguished from all other people who are upon the face of the earth? Then Yahweh said to Moses, I will also do this thing which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of Yahweh before you, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. Then Yahweh said, Behold, there is a place by me, and you shall stand there on the rock, and it will come about while my glory is passing by, that I will put you in the cleft of a rock, and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Wow, what a moment. Right. And what a request, a request to, to see the glory of God because Moses desires to know the ways of the Lord. Yeah, you, you hit
0: it right there. I mean, thats it's a bold request. It is. But it's coming from a man who has a really deep need.
1: Yeah, and God honestly just does, does it for him. You know, he wants to understand God more fully and to continue to enjoy God's favor. And God grants the request to Moses. Yeah, he was definitely
0: hungry here. I mean, to ask God for something like that. And and God tells him of the consequence, too. You see me for who I am. You can't live. I mean, God just consumes um, what is not holy. um, Yet he wants to know. And God gives him a little glimpse of his back. Yeah. Just a little glimpse of his back.
1: And it kind of shows you, too, um, you know, God wanting to have a relationship with man so bad as well that he allows his back to be shown to him well
0: looking at from God's standpoint just for a moment there's a desire in Moses' heart to know God that's what really this is all about but there's a desire on God's side to know man as well too I mean and and not only is there a desire in God's heart to know man but there's only so much that man can know of him because of the state that he's in because of the sinful state I mean that's gotta hurt too to be God I wish I can expose myself and show you for who I am Completely, but you're not ready to take that in.
1: Amen. So that
0: that's a restraint that's got to tug at at the God's heart as well, too.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, And and so we we come to this question, you know, what exactly is God's goodness, right? Because God says, "I'm going to make my goodness pass before you." And the answer we'll find is in the very next chapter, and we get to see the goodness of God proclaimed to Moses and for the rest of us. To also have the Word of God and hear. So let's jump to Exodus 34, um, verses six to seven. So verse six. Then Yahweh passed by in front of him and called out, Yahweh, Yahweh God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for a thousand, who forgives iniquity, transgression. And sin I, I'm gonna stop there because so far, we see that God says that he is the God of six attributes or six qualities. and any normal person would consider these to be good. I mean number one, he's has compassion. Number two is he has mercy. Number three is he's slow to anger. Number four, he has unfailing love and he, he it's not just unfailing love. He's filled with and he lavishes unfailing love. It's so much here. yeah. Um, Number five, faithful. And number six, forgiving. But it doesn't stop here. There are more attributes that we need to inspect very closely to unveil the goodness of God. And if we continue to read, God says, but, and this but is very important. It's a very important conjunction. Because without what follows, God would not fall under the category of good. Now, the dictionary definition of good is morally excellent. There's a, there's a, a plethora of, of uh, definitions, but uh, most, uh, most popular ones are morally excellent, morally right, a righteous person. So for a being to call himself good, there must be moral purity, and it must be of flawless quality. Take a diamond, for instance— how do you measure the quality of a diamond? Well, you first have to inspect and inter- and determine its clarity by the blemishes you see. And you know, I remember going um, uh, ring shopping for Kristen when you know when I wanted to ask her to marry me. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are the things that I looked for. And there are six categories in a diamond that 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 a diamond can fall under on the clarity chart. And the least clear is called included, which just simply means that the diamond has inclusions. Diamond inclusions just means that there are small imperfections found within the structure of a diamond. So the chart starts from the basic level of an included diamond all the way up to to a flawless diamond. Now, when a diamond is considered flawless, it means that even at 10 times the magnification, you won't see any blemish. Or inclusions. A flawless diamond is incredibly rare because it's nearly impossible to find a diamond 100% free of inclusions. So keep this in mind because we're going to inspect God's goodness 10 times the magnification and we'll soon find out what the answer is. So we continue to read verse 7 um, here. Yet, or but, he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. And Moses made haste to bow low toward the ground or the earth and worship. And he said, if I now have found favor in your sight, O Lord, I pray, let the Lord go along in our midst, even though they are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us as your own inheritance. Now, if you don't read this carefully... Yeah, that was 34, um, 6 through 9. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, if you don't inspect this carefully, okay, you will miss this quality of God. And if you miss this, you would have created a God in your own image. If God, in the statement of his goodness, says that he will not excuse the guilty, then the seventh attribute or quality of God is justice. The eighth one is righteous. And if he has these two qualities along with others, and there are many more, then that makes him holy. And here we have a flawless God among the rest of the man-made gods in other religions. But we're going to continue to examine some more facts Well, you've kind
0: of—you're at a key place here. Yeah. Because, I mean, the good attributes are are easy for people to understand. Right. But that but you talked about, that he will— uh, leave the, not leave the guilty unpunished. I mean, that's the, that's where people struggle.
1: Yes. Yeah. That's yeah.
0: the other side of this goodness of God. That's where people struggle. That, that's a key place to be. I'm glad that you're uh, bringing that out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the question I have here is, is God a morally excellent being? Well, let's look at yes. and inspect. Shanden, honey <laughs> <laughs> that was my, series. Siri. Siri seems to have an opinion. Yeah. yeah. Um, so um, let's inspect his morality, okay? So we're going to inspect three aspects of his morality. Number one, we're going to inspect the purity of his morality. Number two, we're going to inspect the integrity of his morality. And number three, we're also going to look at his love. Uh, before you dig any deeper. Go ahead. Okay, one thing that comes to mind
0: is, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, in my notes I've got here that Uh, First of all, the the word loving-kindness is everywhere in Scripture. Yes, yes. Okay, And, and the origin of that word comes from the Hebrew word chesed. And it basically means he's generous, benevolent, kind. Whenever you see in Scripture loving kindness, mercy, steadfast love, loyalty, I mean, those are all that things that point to the goodness of God. And it's interesting that you've brought it to Exodus, which is when Moses brought out Israel and they made that covenant with God. Because right. if you listen to our last yeah. episode, yeah, yeah. okay, it, would really, it was God taking on a bride. And this is the covenant that they had, that he had with Israel, that that he would be his, the bridegroom, and he, he, they, you know, the the nation of Israel would be his bride. Right. and you got to listen to the last episode yeah it, it kind of really, swerves yeah. into this a little bit but that loving kindness is a powerful word it really really is i'm going to read a little something and then i'll ahead, let ahead. you go norman henry snaith he's a british old testament scholar and i got uh, some some reading and some studying that i did and some of the stuff that he taught he says that god's loving kindness is that sure love that will not let israel go not even israel's persistent disobedience could ever destroy it though israel was faithful faithless God remains faithful still the steady persistent refusal of God to wash his hands of a wayward Israel is the essential meaning of the Hebrew word chesed which is translated loving kindness
1: Mm. yeah wow wow that's good yeah I'm glad you swerved into it because we're going to get into a little bit more of that later on I just wanted to tie it to our last episode. That's good. Because that's that's the relationship
0: that was established on that mountain with Israel. Right, right, right. That first covenant
1: relationship.
0: And although Israel was not faithful, God was faithful still. Powerful stuff. Go ahead, brother.
1: No, you're good. So um, let's focus on um, God's more excellent being. Let's focus on moral purity, which is the first one we're going to inspect. Now, when we read Exodus 34, the first six attributes that were mentioned are some of the most... Common attributes when people think of God's goodness or think of what God is like. And you know we talked about that that a lot of people would gravitate towards uh, those uh, attributes. because if he is God, he must be good, right? But within his moral purity, we have to look at three attributes that no one typically will inspect if they believe in just a higher power. They sort of kind of disregard these qualities. And like I said before, in in order for God to be a morally excellent, Or um, good or flawless being he must have these other qualities as part of who he is if he doesn't then anything and anyone can alter the integrity of his qualities so just to be clear moral purity um, what we mean by that is God's absolute freedom from evil or wickedness Um, and the three aspects that we'll look at in God's moral purity are his holiness his righteousness and his justice amen okay so the first one is his holiness Um, God's holiness makes him unique, okay? It makes him stand out uh, uh, among any other God that uh, you encounter or that people bring up. So Exodus 15 verse 11 says, Who is like you among the gods, O Lord, glorious in holiness, awesome in splendor, performing great wonders? God is totally separate from all of creation, and his holiness is worthy of the seraphs to cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And by the way, when he took Israel
0: out of Egypt and made him his, made them his people, the nations around, they knew. Right. They became aware of what you're talking yes. about. There was no God like this, doing yes. the things that he was doing with that people.
1: It's very true because even uh, some people would be like, who is this God that you worship? Like they would ask and inquire because they would see the mighty work of God and see his holiness through the people of Israel. And, you know, Egypt was not no pushover nation. They were at the apex of
0: their power and they basically got wiped out when they lost uh, Israel and the slaves left. I mean, they they were no longer a world power after that. I mean, that scared the nations around. Wow. When they see these wandering people in the desert with this God following them
1: around, or they're following God around, I should say. I mean, that's scary stuff. Mm, it's true, it's very true, which is why Moses says, will you go with us? Because how will we how would we be separate from these other people? Come with us. And so the Lord does. Um, So the Hebrew word for holy means marked off or withdrawn from common, ordinary use. It comes from the word that suggests to cut off or to separate. Now, holy, repeated three times, is a way of showing great importance on the holiness of God. And God is so holy, angels sing day after day and night after night, holy, holy, holy holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who was and is to come. Amen. And, And to understand god's holiness as well jews won't even say the name of the lord out loud because they consider it blasphemy yeah and you see this when when jesus is in the temple courts of the high priests they ask jesus if he is the son of the blessed one they don't ask him if he's straight out are you god are we blasphemy right they ask him, are you the son of the blessed one? So they use phrases like son of the blessed one, the one, the Messiah, to, to avoid using the holy name of God, Yahweh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which, I, by the way,
0: just as a note to our, our listeners, we use exclusively the LSB here for our teachings. And that's one of the differences, the, one of the distinctions that you'll see in that version is that Yahweh is used a lot instead of the word Lord. Yes. And I love that. And, and to your point, Christian, okay god does have a name and he's a god that wants us to know him personally Mm. and what i love about the lsb is that it uses his name it's such a personal connection to him because lord is a title right the lord almighty is a title but when you call him yahweh you're calling him by name yeah it's so much more personal and i love it one of the reasons why you use the lsb folks go ahead
1: no you're good you're good um also, even angelic beings, um, as in, as 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 holy as they are, and how as beautiful as they are, they even cover their face um, with their wings from directly gazing into the face of God. Yeah, yeah. Um, so God is unique in the sense that He is separate from anything and everything evil or wicked, and and it's not in His nature to be evil, let alone to think of something evil. So when creatures such as angels or humans encounter the glory and the goodness of God, the only possible thing to do is either attempt to cover yourself or to bow and worship. And we read of Moses doing uh, the bowing and and worshiping when God's glory passes by Moses in the cleft of the rock. God also makes known his uniqueness in what he says. Uh, He says in Isaiah 43, verse 10 through 11, Before me there was no God formed, and there will be... and." There will be none after me. I, even I, am Yahweh, and there is no Savior besides me. God declares and shows his holiness or uniqueness from any other so-called God. And when God used Moses to perform miracles before the Pharaoh, do you remember the fourth sign and wonder that he did, um, that God performed through Moses, couldn't be replicated by Pharaoh's uh, Egyptian magicians with their secret arts. And when they tried, I think it was the gnats. And when they tried to do it, they couldn't, and they exclaimed, "This is the finger of God." No, oh, of course. So even they knew, like, "Oh, whoa, we can't do this. This is this is out of our, you know, our realm." They're out of their league. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, God's inability to um, tolerate evil. God is not only personally free from any moral wickedness or evil; He is unable to tolerate the presence of e- evil. Um, it's as if He were, so to speak, allergic to sin and evil. Um, and when Isaiah seeing the Lord in a vision, he cries out, Woe is me, for I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King Yahweh of hosts. It's it's impossible for us to stand before God of all creation and for us not to acknowledge our spiritual depravity. Well,
0: I think it comes to bear, and it comes to the forefront right away, which is why in Scripture, whenever you see... um. Um, a Christophany, which is in the Old Testament, a manifestation of Christ, or you see um, at the you know um, whenever God appears uh, or an angelic being appears, anything that's holy, man falls on his face. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the guards that were guarding Christ's tomb, I mean, they felt like dead men, and even when they came right. to to apprehend Christ, and he said, "I am," he, I mean, they all fell on their you know off their feet and onto the ground. You when you. When you confront the Holy God, your inadequacy knocks you down. Amen. It knocks you down. It does in my prayer life sometimes when, you know, I I look at the blackness of my heart and I come before the Holy God. I feel that. I feel that. I, I feel my inadequacy, but it also... You know, as much as his holiness doesn't tolerate evil, thank God that we have Christ. I mean, we're gonna, I'm sure we're going to swerve into the gospel yeah, at yeah. some <laughs> point. But how fortunate are we to have a God that as holy as he is, he makes um, provisions for us Amen. You know, to still approach him. Because mm-hmm. we can't. We yeah. really can't. And we have no, no, no right to as well.
1: And, and also as God is, is, is unique in his holiness, um, his, holy, his holiness makes him unique, the begotten son of God. Begotten meaning means unique and one of a kind. Yeah. So even the Son of God is unique. And when Peter realizes who Jesus Christ is, what does he do? He falls to his knees and cries out, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. So when we measure against God's goodness instead of the goodness of our, ourself or the goodness of others, the need for a complete change in morality and spirituality becomes apparent.
0: Yeah, because it's an inadequate measure. Yeah, You can't measure up to God.
1: And so that brings us to our second aspect of God's moral purity, and it's his righteousness. So God's holiness extends even to the relationships with others. And the first step towards defining God's righteousness is to understand that his law is as perfect as he is. So God created the Ten Commandments so that the Israelites would obey the standard set by the law. And that standard cannot be any less than God's own righteousness. Um, And I think we've read this in one of the podcasts, uh, uh, the later podcast, um, or earlier podcast, I should say. Psalm 19, verse 7 through 9. The law of Yahweh is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of Yahweh is sure, making the wise simple. The precepts of Yahweh are right, rejoicing the heart, the commandment of Yahweh is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of Yahweh is clean, enduring forever, and the judgments of Yahweh are true. They are righteous altogether. God always commands what is right, and it will always be a positive outcome for the person who believes in him and obeys him. Yeah, that's
0: my favorite Psalm 119. Yeah. The longest one in the book, folks. That's yeah. my favorite. You believe okay.
1: that? Well, this one was uh, it was 19, not yeah, 119. Yeah, 19
0: is kind of like a, a, a cliff note version yeah. of 119. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> they kind of say the same thing, but if you want the cliff note version, read 19. Right, right. I love 119. Um, and remember when God was about to destroy the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, he, he does destroy it. But before he is about to destroy the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham says to God, Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put to death the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of the earth do right? And whenever God acts, he acts, he does, does so in accordance with his law. As a righteous being, God always upholds his law because he created it. And since he will uphold that standard, we can trust him to deal with everything in an honest manner. And God does not follow an objective standard of right and wrong. Even though God follows a standard, that standard is part of his very own nature. It's not something external to God. His decisions are based on reality. And guess what? That reality is him. Well, He's reality.
0: Well, it's one of the things that we, we, um, we definitely promote in our ministry. You know, there's all kinds of truths in the world, right. but it's only one truth that matters and it's God's truth. And that, there's no black and white there. I mean, God's truth is supreme.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and, and because he, he is reality, this is what makes him a, a, a good and a perfect judge. And that brings us to our third aspect of his moral purity is, is justice. Okay. Um, here is where we start to feel resistance, justice, a God being just in what way, you know, as if this attribute makes God evil or makes God unfair.
0: Well, we're going from a, uh, talking about a good God to a God that is also going to, you know, delve out justice. It's hard. It, it is. In defense of the unbeliever, it's it a is. hard thing to take in because we, we talk about our God as being this wonderful. You, you've said it in, in what you're teaching here, Christian. He's unique. He's a morally excellent being. He, he He's good. Moses desires to know him, and he desires to know us. But then right, right, it right, right. breaks, and all of a sudden it's like, ah, but there's justice. And you read it yourself there, right, in uh, 34 of Exodus. He's going to—the guilty will not go unpunished.
1: Right, right.
0: It's part of his nature.
1: It is, and and I mean, we've already covered, um, you know, uh, two aspects of his moral purity, and that's holiness and righteousness. So, how can a God who is holy, how can a God who is righteous, not include justice within his character? I mean, he, he then we'll get to it, but, um, but this attribute, you know, some people. M- think it makes God evil or makes him unfair. And this attribute of God's moral purity makes people create a God in their own image. Well, there's the key. Right. There's the key. That's why they think it's
0: too bitter pill to swallow. Because they have their own idea of who God is, okay? But our idea of what God is does not matter. It's what God says he is. Correct, correct. Okay, so if you got your own idea of who God is, of course, justice him being a judge and, 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 and you know, um, uh, delving out, you know, judgment to the unrighteous, it's going to be hard to swallow because you've got to get your idea out of your head about who he is and know him for what he really is and it's what he says he is.
1: Right, and that's why you can make yourself an own, your own God in your own head if you read Exodus 34, 6 through half of 7. If you do that, then you, you're not, and you stop there and you don't inspect the other stuff, You've already created a God for yourself. Yeah. And, and That's all, it.
0: Yeah, and it's creating yourself as
1: God because it's your standards, not his. Right, right. You can't, you can't put aside these things. I mean, these things you have to tackle and you have to try to understand it, not from your point of view, because your point of view is corrupt, but from God's point of view. And this attribute of God's moral purity makes people create a God in their own image, like we said, because this to them cannot be a quality that a good and loving God has. Moses realized okay yes Moses realized
0: how corrupt he was because he was asking God for what he was asking for because he yeah. knew that the people of Israel needed it right okay yeah it's we got to let go of who we
1: think God is right and you hear in verse 9 Moses even says pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us as your own inheritance. I mean he's even he's asking for forgiveness here yeah
0: well we're swerving into the gospel like we always
1: do and, that's and the first right. part of the gospel is
0: accepting who you are before a holy God
1: amen so um, so again, this can't be a quality of a, of, a, of a good and loving God, especially in the weight that God's justice demands, okay? If God is good, then perfect justice is demanded. He cannot come short of this aspect of his purity. If he did, he would not be as flawless as a diamond, so to speak. Um, let's compare this aspect to a judge in the court of law. When you look at the judicial oath for a U.S. judge, it says something like this. I so-and-so do solemnly swear or affirm that I will administer justice without respects to persons and do equal right to the poor and to the rich and that I will faithfully and impartially discharge and perform all the duties incumbent upon me as judge under the Constitution and laws of the United States. So help me, God. A judge has to be unbiased. It doesn't matter if the judge's favorite actor, sports player, artist, you name it, is under judgment in the court of law for a crime that he or she committed. The judge must set their emotions aside and do what is right according to the law. Anything short of this would compromise the judge's goodness. And you've probably seen um, the statue of that blind uh, folded woman holding a sword and the scales of justice. Yes, liberty is blind. There you go. Um, justice is blind, sorry. Yeah, and she's also referred to as Lady Justice. So, um, and, and this statue can actually be found um, anywhere you go in the world, and is a, it's a representation of how the court system is to uphold the law. And so, when you look at Lady Justice in her right hand, she holds a sword that faces downward, and this sword represents Punishment, And the reason the sword is held below the scales is to show that evidence in court is always held before punishment. The blindfold that she wears represents objectivity, and in that justice is or should be, in, in, the, in the blindfold aspect the, that represents objectivity, um, justice is or should be issued out. Okay, that's what that means. Objectively, without any fear or favor, regardless of money, wealth, power, or identity. Mm -hmm. Blind justice is unbiased. Okay, that's why she has a blindfold. In the left hand, she holds balanced scales, which represent the weighing of evidence. When taken with the blindfold, the symbolism is that evidence must be weighed on its own merit. If we take a look at Acts 10.34, it says that God is not one to show partiality that is because he is truly good. Imagine if no justice was given to people who commit serious crimes, like for someone who sex traffics three-year-olds or sex traffics seven-year-olds. That would be pretty scary. You would wonder what in the world is wrong with humanity that no one gives justice to such people. And, you know, there's simple laws that we have here. Um, You can spend 10 years in jail for buying a a, a gun for someone who who cannot legally buy one. Um, If you simply lie in court of law, in the court of law, you can get a maximum of seven years in jail. That's called perjury. So even those minor things that you do, you can face up to serious charges for doing those things. Um, I don't know if you ever got a parking ticket before. No, I don't think I have. You've never got a parking ticket before? no. I have multiple times. Really? Yeah. And there was this one particular time um, I had no clue I had the parking ticket and um, I didn't see it on my windshield at all. Um, And days went by and they sent me a letter in the mail and they pretty much said that I have a parking ticket that wasn't paid for. So. I pleaded innocent I pleaded not guilty because I and, and I went to the court and when I walked in it was just me the judge and the uh, lady from the Allentown parking Authority and I could have sworn I was innocent um, but the parking authority lady pulls up a photo of my vehicle and license plate number and all gotcha <laughs> and honestly all I could respond was like oh duh duh um, and and so I explained to the judge that I never got a ticket on my car's windshield and you know what she told me she said people like to for some for some odd reason steal parking tickets from cars in Allentown. that happens? <laughs> yeah, it was super weird and um and I was like, ah well that's that's great but uh guess what I still had to pay the parking ticket yeah I still? I wasn't excused because I didn't know. Justice still sought after me, yeah, and yeah. just because someone took my ticket doesn't mean that I'm not guilty of judgment. And so I still had to pay my fine. Still culpable, right? And you know, um, someone has to pay it, right? So God must act in accordance with His law. God's righteousness, just as a judge is supposed to act in accordance with the law, God's right, God's uh, God must act in accordance with the law. God's righteousness is reflected in who he is personally. So the justice of God is his official righteousness requiring other moral beings to follow the same standards. So for example same thing, if you saw a judge not living by the standard of the laws of the United States yet steps into the court system and judges others by that same standard of laws that would not make him a good judge. It would make him unfair, it would make him corrupt, and it would make him unjust. So sin against God's law requires definite consequences and there's a warning in scripture that says for the wages of sin is death right and that's in Romans six twenty three. and we are paid in death for our sin and that is the wage due to anyone who has sinned whether it was in the past present future it doesn't matter if it was in the distant past you can still be charged and punished for something that happened ten years ago and the justice of God means that he is fair in the administration of his law besides who would you who who would you want to get judged by? Would you want to get judged by an unjust God, or if God is good and He is judging, then I trust His decision that He would make. Um, you know, any decision that He makes when He exercises justice upon man, if He's good, I would trust that He would do the right thing. It'd
0: yeah, it'd be fair, just it, like the statue that you just described before. Completely Objective. fair. hmm Completely fair. Um. Well before we go into a break, um, I, just to top off this go whole ahead. topic of justice because the other side of justice Christian, once the fair judge has delved out the, the the punishment, then we get into a topic that's another kind of knot in people's throats or you know a knot in their belly which is you know what kind of a God will condemn people into an eternal torment of right? Hell? right that's a tough one because you know how can you believe in a god is the question that people have who would condemn people to suffer the torments of hell eternally so we're talking about a god that's good a god that's just and will judge uh, the unrighteousness of sin but there's a consequence and the consequence is rough Yeah. Because I've always said, and I've said it in this podcast numerous times, you know, hell is a fiery place and there's plenty of descriptions of it in the Bible and people have their own notions of what it is. But the the biggest thing about it is, is that you're going to be separated from God forever. Yeah. And that in itself is an eternal torment to be separated from God. Can, can you imagine? So I've got an article here, and then we'll go to a break. I'm going to read it real quick, and then we'll finish what, what you're teaching here. But Tim Challies is a writer for Answers Magazine. Now Answers Magazine is from the Answers in Genesis. And we've had um, um, Dr. Mortensen in one of our episodes here talk about Genesis. Good ministry to follow people. They've got a lot of great stuff. And he wrote an article on June uh, uh, 2012, and I'm going to read just a portion of it. How can you believe in a God who condemns people to suffer the torments of hell eternally? I reply with the question of my own. How can you believe in a God who would not? To ask the first question is to fundamentally misunderstand the very nature of God. It is to reform God in an image of man which is what we were talking right because here's the thing if you want god who is good truly good and if you want a god who is just and holy then you must have this god this god who condemns people to suffer the eternal torments of hell you cannot have god the god you want unless there is a hell you cannot have a god who is all-knowing all-powerful and so very good God's goodness doesn't negate eternal punishment in hell; it demands it.
1: Right, right. God's goodness demands perfect justice. It, you can't like, and if God is as holy as He is, and He can't, you know, uh, um, if He's so so to speak allergic to sin and evil and sin already separates us from God, then to live with him for eternity, he has to send those who don't believe and trust in him to an eternal hell so that he can live with those who have trusted in him.
0: It goes hand in hand with his goodness, his loving kindness goes hand in hand with the fact that he does... Um, you know he does punish the wicked yeah okay let's I'll link to this article and and, and everything that we're doing that's great to our episode notes but let's take a quick break and then we'll be right back to finish off we are privileged and excited that you joined us today please remember to visit our episode notes they contain links to scripture any information we referenced during the show and a link to join our mailing list to receive the latest show news and updates if you want to send us your questions provide feedback or submit an idea for a future episode, we want to hear from you. Just use the Join the Conversation link provided to contact us. Want to get to know us better? Then we encourage you to use the Core Truth Media link provided in our episode notes to visit our coretruthmedia.org homepage. You can connect with us via social networks from that page and explore the diverse range of podcasts and high-quality content our ministry offers to those seeking to deepen their understanding of the Bible and grow in their faith. Finally, we invite you to help us communicate God's truth throughout the globe. Anyone can listen to this show for free everywhere, podcasts, or available. Click the listen and follow link in our episode notes and share it with your friends and family. You'll be glad you did. We appreciate your support. Now let's get back to our show. Welcome back, folks. We appreciate your patience, and we appreciate you sticking with us. We got a great teaching going on here, and I hope it's blessing you the way it's blessing me. I'm having a blast. Yeah, <laughs> this is good stuff. Go ahead, Christian. You continue where down the road you were going, brother.
1: Okay, so we just um, so the last thing we talked about was God's moral purity, and again, there's three aspects to His moral, moral purity, and that's His holiness, His righteousness, His justice. We just finished talking about God's justice, and Alex gave an awesome um, uh, illustration. There or answer there um, about hell and God and His goodness through um, the our, um, answers in Genesis, correct?
0: Yeah, it was a Genesis magazine. Yeah, yeah. The, the point there is I mean, there's consequences. Yeah. There's yeah. definitely consequences for this sin that's in the world. So, and, and we had to tie that into justice.
1: Yeah. So that brings us to our second um, uh, oh, aspects of God's uh, morality, and that's His moral integrity, okay? And when we look at God's moral integrity, it typically relates to the matter of truth. Okay. And we talked earlier about some who believe they cannot know for sure if this higher being out there is the God of the Bible or not, because there's just so many religions out there that one truth, namely the Bible, about God can't possibly be the only truth. And I, I've gotten that answer before. Oh, yeah. I think every
0: Christian who's tried to profess the gospel of someone or share it has gotten that.
1: Yeah. And so um, there are three different dimensions of truthfulness. And we're going to take a look at uh, the first one, genuineness uh being true the second one is veracity meaning telling the truth and the third one is faithfulness proving true so god in his moral integrity must be true must tell the truth and must prove to be true truthfulness is primarily associated with telling the truth but genuineness is the most fundamental element and the other two are the backbone of genuineness so let's i, I, I like that genuous word
0: <laughs> yeah T- take you back to the ghetto a little bit yo god is real <laughs> i'm gonna be real with you you know people say it all the time oh yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yo this is real and god is real it's no joke i mean it's yeah. the real mccoy here it's genuine i mean there's no substitute for it it's 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 real right authentic is o- another word
1: authentic um so god's genuineness um being true now israel oftentimes encountered many false gods, and we can read that throughout the whole old testament and and yahweh also warned israel about the false gods they would encounter and he specifically tells moses and the people in exodus 34 if we continue reading on after he um, kind of discloses his goodness to moses And he tells Moses this, verse 12, Be very careful never to make a treaty with the people who live in the land where you are going. If you do, you will follow their evil ways and be trapped. Instead, you must bring down their pagan altars, smash their sacred pillars, and cut down their uh, Asherah poles. Thank you. You must worship no other gods, for the Lord, whose very name is Jealous, is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. You must not make a treaty of any kind with the people living in the land. They lust after their gods, offering sacrifices to them. They will invite you to join them in their sacrificial meals, and you will go with them then you will accept their daughters who sacrifice to other gods as wives for your sons and they will seduce your sons to commit adultery against me by worshiping other gods you must not make any gods of molten metal for yourselves so so when israel disobeyed god's commands they would fall away from him The reason God did not want them to make treaty with the other people who were in these lands that they were going to be passing by was because he knew that eventually their sin nature would lead them to worship their false gods.
0: Well, you said it in verse 12, they would become a snare. Right. To them. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is why God was so harsh. Correct. I mean, people struggle with that, too. Why is God sending Israel in there to, like, slaughter, you know, woman, man, and yeah. animal, you know, and beast? Um, this is why. I mean, God is judge, <laughs> like we've yeah. talked about, and if he wants to judge a nation and use Israel to do it, that's his prerogative, but there's a purpose behind it.
1: Yeah. Okay? And I forget who says this, but, um, you know, they were talking, and they were saying that that God is not at battle with the people. He's at battle with the gods that they're serving, which is why he's destroying these, these, uh, uh, these nations. Because it's these gods that he wants to get rid of because he's the true and genuine God. Well, there's, you know, we talk about spirits and
0: principalities. We don't right. fight the flesh. Paul talks about that. There's power. There's spiritual and evil power behind some of the stuff that's going on in the world, and only God can hold that stuff back. He needs to engage. Have any doubt about that? Just look at what's happening in the world today. Yeah. I mean, some of the stuff that's going on, I mean, only God is going to be able to push that stuff back. He's got to engage and attack. Yeah. I'm cool with that, too.
1: (laughs) So, um, you know, God knows that their sin nature would lead them to worship false gods and not the true genuine God uh, being him himself Um, and it would be a sin that would not only affect their sons but also their grandchildren as well oh yeah so absolutely we also see this with the golden calf the Israelites created after God led them out of Egypt they gave praise to the golden calf for doing what God did for them calling the golden calf Lord and we, we know that it wasn't the graven image that they just created that saved them from Egypt, but the true God, the I am who I am. And God brought them out of Egypt, the only God capable of doing so. Um, there, in both Jeremiah 10 and Isaiah 44, it talks about how foolish it is when people worship objects they create. And my favorite one is from Isaiah 44. I'm going to read that one because it's a very interesting and and you know if anyone is struggling with an idol in their life, you know, a, a sin, uh, this gives a a really good perspective of how foolish it is to worship something else that's not God. And I'll read it. Uh Cobra, Isaiah 44 verse 6 says this is what the lord says israel's king and redeemer the lord of heaven's armies i am the first and the last there is no other god who is like me let him step forward and prove to you his power let him do as i have done since ancient times when i established a people and explained its future do not tremble do not be afraid did i not proclaim my purposes for you long ago you are my witnesses is there any other god no There is no other rock, not one. How foolish are those who manufacture idols. These prized objects are really worthless. The people who worship idols don't know this, so they are all put to shame. Who but a fool would make his own god, an idol that cannot help him one bit? All who worship idols will be disgraced along with all these craftsmen, mere humans who claim they can make a god. They make all They may all stand together, but they will stand in terror and shame." The blacksmith stands at his forge to make a sharp tool, pounding and shaping it with all his might. His work makes him hungry and weak. It makes him thirsty and faint. When the woodcarver measures a block of wood and draws a pattern on it, he works with chisel and plane and carves it out into a human figure. He gives it human beauty and puts it in a little shrine. He cuts down cedars. He selects the cypress and the oak. He plants the pine in the forest to be nourished by the rain. Then he uses part of the wood to make a fire with it he warms himself and bakes his bread then yes it is true he takes the rest of it and makes himself a god to worship he makes an idol and bows down in front of it he burns part of the tree to roast his meat and to keep himself warm he says ah this fire is good then he takes what's left and makes his god a carved idol he falls down in front of it Worshiping and praying to it. Rescue me, he says. You are my God. Such stupidity and ignorance. Their eyes are closed and they cannot see. Their minds are shut and they cannot think. The person who made the idol never stops to reflect. Why? It's just a block of wood. I burned half of it for heat and used it to bake my bread and roast my meat. How can the rest of it be a God? Should I bow down to worship a piece of wood? The poor, deluded fool feeds on ashes. He trusts something that can't help him at all. Yet he cannot bring himself to ask, is this idol that I'm holding in my hand a lie? Wow. Dude, I got to do this. <laughs> I'm in go Romans. Ahead, go ahead. I'm in goes
0: to show you how scripture is. And I hope everybody is getting this. What were you reading from again? This is Isaiah 44, 6 through 20. All right, check this. Now, we were in Romans before, and we read about the invisible attributes of God in chapter 1, and how no one is without excuse. Check this out. Verse 21. For even though they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God or give Him thanks. But they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the likeness of corruptible man, and of birds, and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over to the lust of their hearts, to their impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature, then the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Now, we're talking about men that are separated by how many years, yeah. Isaiah and Paul, and they're saying the same exactly. thing. Scripture confirms Scripture. What Amen. you're talking about there, Paul just echoed right there. That that's Amen. That's exactly what we're talking about.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it's so funny because, you know, I've read Romans 1, and then when I found Isaiah 44, I'm like, wait a minute. And yeah, it's 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 pretty interesting how they both echo each other. Yeah,
0: it's God talking. That's right. Whether it's Isaiah or Paul,
1: right, it's God talking, saying the
0: same thing. And, and this is a very good point to make to those who have any doubt that this is a a unique and one of a kind book where God has used men and pen and paper and used them to put His thoughts. Right into into right. this book and into our minds and into our thoughts. I'm telling you, man. It, it, you wanna you wanna prove out scripture. It proves itself. It defends itself. It, it does every time. I'm yeah. excited about that. Yeah. But it, you know, in Isaiah, I've read that before, yeah. and, and I love the mocking tone to it. <laughs>
1: I, I do too. Because
0: when you really think about it, how stupid is that? Yeah. The same right. the same wood you use to cook your your meal is the same wood you wind up t- turning around
1: and <laughs> worshiping. And that still happens today, sadly. Yeah, it does. I mean, and again, these people making, whether it's wood or wh- making God up in your mind, a God up in your mind, it's still it's still the same stupidity. You know, it's still like, man, like if you would just see the God um, of the Bible for who he is and says that he is, you would encounter the true and living God.
0: Yeah, don't try to figure it out. He figured it out for you and Amen. telling you who
1: he is. Amen. And, and, you know, the genuineness, the genuineness of these man made gods from these objects are nothing more than materials they use to create fire. You could even use the same material to build a house. And, and what's so crazy about you, using these materials to make a god is that these materials can't talk to them and they cannot offer them salvation. All it offers them is nothing but vanity. That's yeah. it, nothing. And, and Jesus even says that the Father is the only true God in John seventeen three, And we see this to be true throughout history and all of the miraculous work God has done since the beginning of time. And we most of all see this in the resurrection of Jesus. And the second dimension of God's truthfulness or his moral integrity is its veracity. Ooh, that's a $5 word. <laughs> Telling the truth, right? And uh, we read throughout Scripture that God is not a man and that he should lie. And um, in First Samuel fifteen twenty nine it says, "And he who is the glory of Israel will not lie, nor will he change his mind, for he is not human that he should change his mind." And other versions are, "He should not uh, that, or that he should repent." Uh, Titus one two says the same. This truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised them before the world began. And my personal favorite is Hebrew six sixteen through twenty. Verse 16, now when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, the oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. Amen. Verse 18, so God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we... Who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence, as we hold to the hope that lies before us. And this hope is strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of, Michels, Michelsadec, Michels. Uh, I can never say that right. Michelsadec. Yeah. Michelsadec. Okay. So when you look at the integrity of God's veracity throughout Scripture, these passages don't just say that God does not lie and will not lie. It's actually saying that he cannot lie. He is completely incapable of lying because it goes against his very nature, because his nature is not human. It's spirit. The impossibility of God lying is also comparable to the impossibility of us living without oxygen. And, and what's one of the two commandments? Thou shalt not what lie. If God upholds his law, therefore he has to keep his own law. Therefore he never lies and cannot lie because his law is a reflection of who he is. He's true. Yeah.
0: Now he's incapable of lying, but yet we are capable of not believing. Right. And that's why we fall short. Right. Because he's absolute
1: tr- absolute truth. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the third dimension of God's truthfulness, or moral integrity, is his faithfulness, proving true.
0: Oh, thank God for that one.
1: Right. And and we just talked about God not being able to lie. If God is incapable of lying, then he must be faithful. God has been faithful since the fall of men. And whatever God says, he will and he does. We see this in the Old Testament in the beginning, the fall of men. Um, When the fall of man occurred, God says that Satan will only bruise the heel of Jesus. Is that true? Of course. Fast forward to the New Testament, the hour of the power of darkness has already happened in the brutal mistreatment of Jesus and ultimately his death. And the bruising of Satan's head has already taken a beating through the resurrection of jesus and the final blow takes place in the end when jesus returns after the a thousand year reign and we kind of talked about that last episode oh yeah the a thousand year reign um also god promises abraham that he would make him a father of many nations in sarah and abraham's little faith god opened the womb of the old and barren sarah to bear a child who will begin that very promise god made to abraham and isaac became the very first piece of evidence to god's word and promise to abraham and Paul reminds us that um, in 1 Thessalonians 5.24, he who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Second 2 Timothy 2.13 tells us if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. You kind of echoed that uh, a little bit ago, for he cannot deny who he is. That's right. Um, and if God is good, and so far that we've seen that he is, then he must be faithful in every word that comes from his mouth and with every oath and promise he makes. Okay? So the last um, um, the last aspect of God's uh, morality is his love. And when it comes to morality, love must be present. A loving person must be good and a good person must be loving. If they are not, then they can't be considered good and the very essence of god or the definition of god is love and we see this in john or first john 4 eight and verse 16 but anyone who does not love does not know god for god is love we know how much god loves us and we have put our trust in his love god is love and all who live in love live in god and god lives in them so in god's love he chooses to share himself with us and his eternity with us.
0: And we're going back to this whole conversation with Moses again. Yeah. You know, love is the thing that binds it all together. That's right. It love is the thing that makes it approachable to us. Because even Moses when he asked God show me yourself, I mean, he he pleaded out of love. And right. God answered him out right. of love. It it's the buffer for all of this. And please, if you're listening out there and and you struggle with who God is and his character, hang on to that love. But that's what's going to get you there.
1: That's right. That's That's what's going to get you there. But it's also important to know that he doesn't need to love us. He doesn't need to do this because this love has always been present within the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have always shared this love among each other. We see that in John 17. That's right. Mm. Before anything was ever created, there has always been this ex- eternal exercise of love. For example, John 14, verse 31, Jesus says, But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Amen. Matthew three seventeen, the Father says of the Son, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And in Galatians five twenty two, 22, um, the Holy Spirit, the first fruit is love. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Against, against such things there is no law. So, for God to be love, as 1 John 4 8 tells us, his love must contain and offer these four aspects. First one's benevolence, the second one is grace, the third one is mercy, and the fourth one is persistence. Mm-hmm. Benevolence. By this, we mean that God cares about the well-being of the people he loves. He unselfishly seeks for our well-being. He seeks not after his own good, but the good of others. We see this in the most popular Bible verse, John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever shall believe in him shall not ha- perish but have everlasting life. But we also see this in, the, in, in this aspect of His love in Deuteronomy chapter seven, verse seven through eight. I love this. The Lord did not set his heart on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other nations. For you were the smallest of nations. Rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you. Oh, man, that's awesome. I'm feeling a great big hug right now.
0: <laughs> Just like Ava from our other podcast. Yeah. Yeah, she's a Jehovah Witness yeah, that right. became a Christian. She says, I feel, I felt a great big hug like, from yeah. God. That's what I'm feeling
1: right now. <laughs> that's so true oh man and he was keeping um the oath he had sworn uh to your to your ancestors so it was simply that the lord loves you
0: yeah that's awesome
1: god has an unselfish interest in us for our own good now god first and foremost doesn't need us he's all powerful and he's all self-sufficient Amen. and although he chooses to work through us he can accomplish what he needs to without us there is perfect love within the trinity that's why he doesn't need us
0: that's pretty awesome
1: yeah so how do we know god unselfishly seeks out our own good well when we look at the event that took place on the cross of calvary hello his sending jesus to die on the cross for us was not because we showed initiative or interest to love him it's actually the opposite the apostle john says this is real love Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins,
0: and I'm gonna channel some go Eva
1: Rosario again oh, go ahead, here. Go ahead. Go ahead.
0: Go um, ahead. Don't know if everyone knows, but we have another podcast about people sharing their testimonies. And this young lady, she she made a good point in this episode when she shared her testimony. It's it's um, I am that lost sheep. I think it's episode three of the Evidence yeah. of Truth podcast. But she said something that was pretty profound. God didn't send a surrogate to the cross. He sent himself. Amen. He didn't send some cheap substitute. That's right. He gave his very best. I thought that was very profound to her to pick that up as a young Christian. But it's so true. It is so, so true. God did not hold back. He did not hold back his love at all. He gave it all.
1: It's unselfish. It's unselfish love. And if we look at Romans 5, uh, 6 through 10, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There you go. Much more than having now been justified by his blood we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him for if we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son much more having been reconciled we shall be saved by his life and not only this but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received the reconciliation in God's divine love he looks or he took the initiative by creating a way of Of salvation amen and the examples of God's benevolence doesn't stop there because we read in the parables in Luke 15 that he continuously seeks us out and presently God is now actively loving us as we speak and some homework for you guys take a look at Luke 15 there's some really great parables about God's uh, uh, love towards us amen the second aspect of God's love is his grace Now, the biblical definition of grace is simply goodwill, loving kindness. You kind of hit on loving kindness earlier before in favor. And when true grace is exercised over a person by the kindness of God, one soon realizes they are undeserving of it. God's grace is of the merciful kindness by which He exerting his holy influence upon souls turns them to Christ, keeps, strengthens, increases them in Christian faith, knowledge, affection, and kindles them to the exercise of the Christian virtues. So, God deals with people on the basis um, of where they're at. You know, it's a miracle that anyone is saved. If God wanted to, because it's on the basis of his kindness, he could choose to wipe out the entire human race. But in his kindness and grace, he chooses to save us so that we can enjoy eternity with him. Grace means that even though we were dead spiritually, unable to respond to God and his goodness, God sees our sinful nature, our guilt, and our condemnation, and out of grace makes us alive to the res- to respond to his grace in order to be saved. And grace isn't a picture of a man who's drowning and God throws a life buoy at him by his grace in hopes that the man grabs it to save his own life. Instead, grace is a picture of a man who is dead at the bottom of a sea and God extends his hand to pick the man up out of the water, resuscitates him, rehabilitates him, and keeps him from ever drowning to death ever again. And God says to the house of Israel in Ezekiel 36, which is one of my uh, favorite uh, aspects of scripture as well, is God says himself, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your, your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to do my judgments. I will save you from all your uncleanness Amen. grace is an undeserved gift that God chooses to give for free and God gives grace to the humble but opposes the proud Lord have mercy (laughs) Um, now the third aspect of God's love is his mercy and when we look at the mercy that God has we see his tender heart and loving compassion towards people Psalm 103.13 says that as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. Mercy simply means to help one afflicted or seeking aid, or to help the afflicted, to bring help to the wretched. So God's mercy is shown toward the needy. And God's mercy is revealed in the Old Testament when he sees the Israelites afflicted when in captivity by the Egyptians. And in the New Testament, we see God in the flesh, in Jesus Christ, having compassion toward the sick and the needy, both physically and spiritually. To the man who had that leprosy in Mark, um, what does he say? He, what does it say? It says that Jesus was moved with compassion. So now Jesus reaches out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed jesus is also seen to have compassion on the crowd who was confused and helpless he saw them as sheep without a shepherd and this is where we get jesus saying the harvest is great but the workers are few so who receives mercy a person who is aware of their spiritual condition will receive mercy when you are aware of the wretched state that you're actually in the only merciful being who is completely able to heal your spiritual condition and restore you is god because he says he is merciful. And we learned earlier that he can't lie. And God is good with broken people. That's right. That's exactly
0: where you need to be. At that's the right. End of yourself, that's where he begins.
1: Yep. Yep. I mean he even says to Israel, I I I I didn't you were the smallest of nations. You were the smallest one. And
0: probably the most stiff necked. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: (laughs) yeah, that's true. He picked the, you know, the most stiff necked and and the smallest. And what did he do? He manifested himself to be such a wonderful God.
1: It's so true.
0: And still is through us. Amen. You know, and through what he's done on the cross.
1: Yeah, his character never changes. I mean, Ephesians 2 tells us that God is rich in mercy. Now, the difference between grace and mercy, grace sees humanity as sinful, guilty, and condemned, while mercy sees humanity as needy. Because God knows humanity is in need, and he makes, because God sees that humanity is in need, he makes his mercy new every morning. I love the song, uh, Breathe. Do you know, this is the air I breathe. Oh yeah, I've heard that. This is the its two simple phrases that reveal a person's cry, uh, and when you're aware of uh, uh, of your need for a savior, you 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 sing that part of the song. I'm desperate for you. I'm lost without you. I love those yeah. uh, those those words oh, in, in that beautiful. song. Yeah. Um, and David says in Psalm 86, Oh, Lord, you are so good, so ready to forgive, so full of unfailing love for all who ask for your help." Because God is rich in mercy, he is ready to exercise his mercy to all those that come humbly to him, acknowledging their need for mercy. And the criminal is at the mercy of the judge. And if God says he has mercy, he will give mercy. It's
0: like that beggar beating in his chest at the temple. Yes. Oh, Lord, forgive me, a sinner. Yeah, yeah that's the God said that's someone who's ripe and ready for the Lord right there.
1: That's, that's right.
0: And, and, you know, anyone who has given their heart to Christ and trusted Him as Lord and Savior, you know where that place is because you, you, that's where you got to be. That's where, where the place that you needed to go in order to see the face of God like Moses wanted to see.
1: Exactly. You know,
0: isn't that interesting?
1: Yeah. Now, the last aspect or the fourth aspect of God's love is His persistence. This is the last dimension of His love in the persistence in his love. And you probably ask why Jesus hasn't returned yet to judge the world in righteousness. Well, for one, we learned in the last episode that Jesus is preparing a place for us and for his bride.
0: Yeah, you got to listen to that last episode.
1: Yes, I really enjoyed that one. Um, Marriage in the gospel. Yeah. And that's not the only reason. It's not just because Jesus is preparing a place for us, but it's because out of God's love, he is persistently withholding his wrath and judgment with one hand while offering salvation and grace with the other. God does not wish that any should perish, but that all reach repentance. Um,
0: There it is right there. There it is. Right. He doesn't have to do it,
1: but he chooses to. That's right. That's right. So, and God gives, God's patient gives people time to be saved. That's the whole reason for it. That's why he is uh, slow to anger paul writes don't you see how wonderfully kind tolerant and patient god is with you does this mean nothing to you can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin so in god's persistent love and faithfulness he makes his mercy new every morning so that we might be saved i mean look at the character displayed towards israel how long did god put up with the the rebellious israelites A difficult 40 years. 40 years. How long, check this out, how long should it have taken Israel to get from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea? And mind you, Kadesh was on the southern border of the promised land. So from Horeb to Kadesh, it was about 150 miles of travel. It should have taken the Israelites 11 days to get to the promised land. Instead, it took them 40 years. What God knew would take 11 days stretched out to 40 years, and throughout those 40 years, God was still persistent in love toward them, patient and merciful. Why? Because he was unselfishly seeking out for their well-being. He knew they were sinful, guilty, and condemned under his perfect justice, but he extended his grace when they cried out to him. He was showing mercy toward needy Israel, and he was persistent in his love toward them. When God is set on you, this is his character. He wants us to be obedient to his protection over us. And we see us as sinful beings, we see sin as pleasure. And he sees sin as danger separating us from true life. And he knows that life can only come through Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know my, who my father is. Amen, amen. And so we come to the end of all of this, right? And we ask the question, um, you know, we, we, we look at the goodness of God, and is it in the gospel? Absolutely, all right, the so gospel's everywhere. That's dude. right. <laughs> so how good is your goodness? Measure your goodness to God's goodness. Is it as perfect as he is? Do you have all these qualities that God has, and do you exercise them as perfectly as he does? If your answer is yes, I'd like to remind you that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Bringing your own goodness to God, goodness to God is like bringing him the filthiest, smelliest rag you can imagine. Its only purpose is to be thrown away. And God requires perfection, moral excellence to enter the kingdom of heaven, and we by no means are ever going to amount to that. Our good deeds will never outweigh our bad ones because our good ones are just as bad as the bad ones. In reality, without the direction of God, when we do good, we do good for selfish reasons. No one who is without God unselfishly seeks out the good for another person. Without the true God, it is simply impossible. Now, if you answered no to the question of, is your goodness as perfect as God? And do you have all the qualities of god do you exercise them as perfectly as he does if your answer was no i'd also like to remind you that blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven you have come through the narrow way acknowledging your sin and mourning over your sin nature but blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted and what a huge blessing it is to be comforted by the god who has proven himself to be compassionate merciful Slow to anger, filled and lavishing, unfailing love, faithful, forgiving, just, righteous, and holy. And what about other religions? Because right? we were talking about agnostics in the beginning. What about other religions? Do these gods amount to Yahweh's goodness? There is one other thing that makes the God of the Bible to be the real, true, living God. And that is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Why is Jesus so significant? What other God has come down to earth in the flesh to die and pay the wage of sin so that all that is required of us is faith and trust in the person of Jesus Christ? What God has displayed every single one of his attributes, his goodness perfectly on a Roman cross when he came and paid the debt of your sin? What God has extended his hand out to you in gentleness, patience, compassion, mercy, love, grace, forgiveness in Jesus Christ? The only God that I know who has done this Is the god of the bible yahweh the great i am if you haven't noticed yet god wants you to see his glory and do you know how you can see his glory and know his glory go back to moses what did moses ask god to see his glory what's god's response to moses i will make my goodness pass before you amen god's glory is in his goodness So if you want to see the glory of God, seek out his goodness, which can also be found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And you will soon find out that this God surely is the one. And everything that we try to seek in people that let us down can be found perfectly in God. God is good. And because God brings good news, um, it's not not good news to tell—because God is good, God brings good news— it's not good news to tell humanity that they have to make sure good deeds, their good deeds outweighs their bad ones, or that life is a tipping uh, of, of the scales. It's not good news to tell humanity uh, they just cease to exist after they die, then in, in, in the world uh, was the purpose then what in the world was my uh, the purpose of my existence? It's not good news to tell humanity that the afterlife is unknown. So make this life the best that it can be. It's not good news to tell humanity that through your incapabilities, incap- you have to rid yourself of bad karma. Keep living this life in this world that is ruled by Satan and in reincarnation until you get it right. That's like jumping out of an airplane ten thousand feet from the ground without a parachute a thousand times and expecting a different result. <laughs> You know, there are many other not so good news out there that will never give us a clear understanding of the next life. And we are kind of left to our own to figure it out. But if God is good, he would make a plan and let us know for sure how we can have a right relationship with him. And this is the essence of salvation. For by grace, you have been saved Amen. through faith. And this is not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not Amen. of work, so that no one may boast. God has brought his own sacrifice to the table, the lamb of God, Jesus Christ, a perfect sacrifice that would cover and forgive the sin of anyone who would put their faith and trust in Jesus. God is not asking you to keep a law or a set of rules. He knows you're incapable of doing so. He is telling you to humble yourself through this attitude. God grants us repentance from our sin that leads us to life. And we can receive God's grace through faith, a free gift he offers, so that we can have eternal life. And once we have been saved through his amazing grace, God gives us his spirit to obey him, not out of a monotonous obligation, but out of love for him. It wasn't your doing that got you here, neither will it be your doing to get you into the kingdom of heaven. So I encourage you to open a Bible today and be relentless in seeking the truth about the goodness of God.
0: Amen. Amen. That was an awesome teaching. It really is. And there's a lot, there's a lot here. As a matter of fact, I have so many notes that I didn't get to because there's so much about the goodness of God, but Christian, good job. Good job. This, this is some, some great stuff.
1: And do you want to close it out and take us home on this? Yeah. I mean, listen guys, I, I mean, seek out God's goodness look and you can spend your your time trying to search out other religions but I guarantee you there is nothing like the God uh, of Israel there's nothing like the God of the Bible who has revealed himself already to mankind and again like you know all these other religions there is no good news in them it's always in your efforts to try to do something and we know uh, the question that I asked was you know um, how good is your goodness it's not good. You need God's goodness to save you. And so rest in humility and come humbly before God. Um, and he will, he, he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So submit yourself to him, draw near to him and he'll draw near to you.
0: Awesome teaching, Christian. I feel blessed that that was rich in knowledge and and rich in... in, in just just love. I mean, it's it really has blessed me. That was a great teaching. Thank you for tuning in, everyone. I hope that this has been a blessing to you. It certainly has for me. I'm walking away overwhelmed, really, by just how God is just so wonderful. Go to him, like Christian says. Run to him. His loving kindness is there for you. All right. Tune in next time. Thank you for tuning in this time. We really do appreciate everyone who listens to our we podcast. Do. Christian, great job. Thank you, brother. Amen. And we'll see everyone next time. God bless you all. God bless you. Take care. Thank you for joining us today. We pray that we have been an encouragement to you. This episode has been made possible by listeners like you. Please consider partnering with us through your prayers and gifts. Your support enables us to provide sound biblical teaching that helps others open up their understanding of the scriptures across the globe. To support the show financially, click the Donate Now link in the episode notes Or you can visit our podcast website at relentlesslybiblical.org and use a donate link in the podcast player or the support this show button that's on our homepage. Thank you for your gracious support. Join us again for our next episode and remember to always be in God's word and stay relentlessly biblical. This episode has been a production of Core Truth Media, owned and operated by Core Truth Ministries. This podcast was recorded and engineered at Prevail Studios.